Hi, welcome to Flywheel Friday, keeping up with the federal IT news cycle, one conversation at a time. I'm Alexander Bolova, media producer for GovCIO Media and Research. Joining me today are my wonderful fellow co-hosts. I'm Kate Macri. I'm a senior researcher and I lead coverage for national security and cybersecurity. So some of the agencies I focus on are DHS and DOD, primarily Army, Air Force, and CISA when we're talking about agencies within those departments. Hi, I'm Melissa Harris. I'm also a senior researcher and I cover health and civilian agencies. We just wrapped up our first event of the year, AIGov Future Workforce. Kate, do you want to tell us about what this event was about? So this event was focused on how AI can improve productivity, increase productivity, improve efficiencies for the federal workforce. And I think one of the common refrains we heard from speakers was AI isn't eliminating federal jobs, but is helping federal employees do their jobs better and is helping federal agencies improve how they deliver products and services to American citizens. So we kicked off today's event with our Leading Through Change panel. Uh, Melissa, do you want to talk to us about that conversation? Sure thing. So the conversation included the Defense Digital Service Deputy Director Scarlett Swordlow and Veterans Affairs Deputy Assistant Secretary for DevSecOps, Todd Simpson. The conversation largely revolves around what Kate was talking about, um, about the overall thematic aspects of the event. The conversation gravitated a lot toward how AI is helping the workforce and also how we can engage the workforce in a more effective way. Scarlett mentioned how They're trying to meet people where they're at, especially since Defense Digital Service looks to have people come into their agency and work different problems for, you know, a couple of years. So they're engaging the workforce on LinkedIn and not USA Jobs. They're trying to get diverse people and skills so that they can support the mission of government. And, you know, those are the kinds of people who in many ways are executing the AI. But on the other hand, um, Todd Simpson was talking about how they're implementing a lot of automation in their uh, CI/CD pipeline and looking to collaborate uh, with their customers in implementing AI and their DevSecOps goals. So there are two sides of the coin there, and both are really important for uh, making sure that we can get to good AI and then also support the workforce. Yeah. And when I was watching the event, there was one quotation in particular that really stuck out to me. Um, I believe it was Todd Simpson who said, I truly don't care where someone works in my organization. I, I think work is something that you do and not somewhere that you go. You feel like that's a good summation of this first panel and maybe the event overall? Yeah, it's a great point. There's lots of discussion about serving the customer, working with the customer. And in many ways, those customers are the people working for you, the internal employees. And with the way that we've moved to this mass telework and are providing technical solutions that allow you to work from anywhere, 
it really comes down to the kind of work you do for your mission rather than being in the greater DC area. You know, with the Defense Digital Service, they've been tapping all sorts of talent from across the country. And now with the VA, they're starting to do the same thing. And so you can really get into some great talent pools by by not locking yourself into a geographic area. That's an excellent point. So our other panel from the event was our AI use cases panel. Kate, what insights did our panelists offer during this panel? I think all three had some really good insights to share. Ben Cushing had a really great AI use case that he talked about. He's the chief architect for federal health at Red Hat. And he talked about how AI can help screen images faster, process images faster for pneumonia screening for doctors, uh, basically enabling them to go through scans of people's lungs a lot faster and just process them more quickly so that doctors can get through them and get diagnoses or information out to patients. And I thought that was a really interesting use case for AI, but Gil Altaravitz, who is the director of the National AI Institute at the VA, also had a really cool use case about tailoring physical therapy with wearables, which basically came down to collecting information in between physical therapy visits, which helped personalize patient care. So I thought both of those were really interesting examples of how AI was helping the caregiver basically do their job better and collect more information more quickly to deliver better care to patients. And I think those are really powerful examples because some of the misconceptions around AI and automation are rooted in this fear of robots coming to take our jobs away or AI eliminating the need for people to collect information and data and be in those kinds of jobs. But it's really not about that. And I think both Gil and Ben got into this a little bit. It's really about, Ben especially, it's really about AI helping the people in these roles have more information at their disposal to make decisions about patients or whatever their job is. And it's it's more about being able to take on more creative work and more decision-making oriented work as opposed to just being focused on like routine road tasks. Piggybacking off of that, Gil also mentioned how the VA came out with some AI principles that are meeting the trustworthy AI executive order that's um, pushed federal agencies to build a foundation for how they want to navigate implementing AI. So supporting national values and making sure that we sort of set the bar so that there's purpose and that there's ethics and that we're not scaring people with AI, that we're using data appropriately. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation too. And a great point that I thought Gil brought up and as agencies start to come out with these principles and ways that they want to meet the executive order, it'll be good to keep an eye out for how we continue to see the development of AI from that federal level. 
I liked what Martin Stanley, branch chief for strategic technology at CISA, said about use cases for AI because CISA's strategy around this is based around this high benefit, low regret model. So, so when they go into like thinking about what they're going to try and use AI or automation for, they're thinking about use cases where if it works, there's high benefit, but if it doesn't, it's not going to mess up whatever like workflow or software development they have going on. So it's kind of like, you know, what what's something low risk that we can try this AI out on, but could have a really big benefit for productivity. And I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it. it seemed like a pretty smart way of looking at it. So to wrap up our conversation about the AIGov Future Workforce event, do you each have a key takeaway from the event? Anything in particular uh, that you want to leave our listeners with? AI can help people do their jobs better, but don't adopt AI for the sake of just having fancy new technology. Agreed. AI isn't a silver bullet. Don't do AI just because it's cool. You need to find a business use case. You have to start small and then scale, just like how we saw with Todd Simpson's um, thoughts about how they're, you know, doing something as simple as implementing automation into their CI/CD pipeline to automate microservice life cycles. Could be really simple, but every step along the way helps. All right, awesome. Well, I think that's all for today's Flywheel Friday. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Tune in two weeks from now for our second Flywheel Friday. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Melissa Harris. And I'm Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Flywheel Friday, along with GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released weekly across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. So with this being our very first episode of Flywheel Friday, I feel like I need to address something right off the bat, which is that I have no idea what DevSecOps actually means. Can, can either of you actually explain? I would define it as baking in security requirements and testing into the beginning of the software development lifecycle. But what that looks like, I guess, federal agencies have very different opinions on. That's it? That, that, that's, that's all it is? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Right, Melissa? That's pretty much it. Yeah, I look at it as sort of the, the traditional way of developing a product is to start, they call it the waterfall method, where you sort of start with development and then operations management and oftentimes security has come last. So if mm -hmm. you want to change any step along the process, you have to start from square one again.
So mm-hmm. it takes a really long time to get things done that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas the DevSecOps model flattens the waterfall and makes it more of a horizontal process. And that's why you tend to have agile processes where there are these sprints where you try to get everything done, you review, and then you iterate. So it makes things a lot supposedly faster. And also you consider all of the different steps from development to security and operations, what DevSecOps stands for, and uh, bake them all in at once. I guess my takeaway from all that is uh, maybe the real DevSecOps was the friends we made along the way. (laughs) I was not expecting that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love that.